one and all, and welcome to episode 36 of Pot of Blokes. The Pot of Blokes. Yeah, we're back again. Exactly. How about this? And with the footy season uh, due to kick off, we figured, hey, we probably should talk about this. I do quite like this episode 36. So, six squared. Six being the number of points for a goal and all that. There's a nice little bit of synchronicity and serendipity and any other random words starting with this and that. So... Look, GJ, mastermind that he is, has put together a random assortment of, I think it's 60, 60, 60 different questions, so 10 goals worth. We're bringing that six back in. Exactly, the see? There's a recurring theme here. Hopefully it's not a 666 one. <laughs> <laughs> Just when you know it's going downhill yeah. fast. Maybe more six goals, six. Let's yeah. go with that. So, look, this is just going to be, I guess, a, a random assortment of questions on the season to come. And, and yeah, I mean, look, this one might be a bit long as one recording, so it may get broken up into a couple along the way, so we'll see how we go. It's all part of the rich tapestry of the bloke pot. That's right. Right, let's jump straight into it then. Yeah. So, the first question is, name this player. Who am I? So, I'm just embracing my inner Glen Ridge here. <laughs> I have moved teams, but the team is a lot worse off for me moving on. Yeah. And I'm gonna need your answer in the form of a question. Who is Clinton Young, I'm going with. I'm going to go with Clinton Young, who's uh, moved in the off-season from Hawthorne to Collingwood. I think that Young was a really underrated element of that Hawthorne midfield in that he would... The outside run and carry that, that he was bringing. Now, they, they tried to recruit guys like Isaac Smith, Shane Savage to a lesser extent, and also Brad Hill yep. to, to fill those roles for them. But I think that Young, Young brought something a little bit more. He's a little bit more polished than those guys in that type of role. I thought he was a great... I get for Collingwood, and um, I just think that Hawthorne, you being the Hawthorne supporter, Mate, you could I'm, probably... Yeah, I'm, there's a conspiracy theory going on here, is that you're trying to get me riled up right from question one. Yeah. I was shattered. Well, two things. I was shattered when I heard he was leaving, but then when I heard he was going to Collingwood, that was just the, well, the I mean, yeah, ultimate sucker punch. And, and I think that, you know, the only reason why I went to Collingwood was basically because Hawthorne lowballed him as well, yeah. so... Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but, I mean, all, all other considerations aside, Clinton Young was always sort of one of my favourite players to see just the way he, I guess, attacked the ball and had that booming 60 metre left foot. I mean, there's a moment in the second quarter of the 08 Grand Final where Geelong were just throwing everything, 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 everything at Hawthorne, but were less than a kick in front, and then suddenly the ball got handballed to Clinton Young in the centre square on his left foot, and I think it was um, David Schwartz just said, oh, danger, and he sent it through, straight through from 60 out, and Bruce McCavity just comes in going, can you believe it? Hawthorne's in front! And that was one of the most memorable moments of that entire match for me, because having just absorbed so much pressure from Geelong, it took just one kick from the centre square from Clinton Young to put us back in front. Bringing us back to 2013 here, the loss of Matty Suckman will really emphasise missing Young as well. So um, Suckley's just done his knee as as we're pulling this together. So, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm saying that He's such. I've, I always associate him with that very pivotal moment yeah. in that match. 
But in general, I simply cannot understand why Hawthorne could not find adequate room for him in their salary cap. When I look at yeah. some of the blokes they've got running around for them right now, mm. the Paul Puopolos, as you say, the, the Shane Savages, there are a lot of guys there right now. The Jared Roughheads, I'll throw that out there as well. The, the Luke Bruce, those sorts of guys... To think that Clinton Young left purely based on financial negotiations, mm. to think that they couldn't have shifted some funds around in order to get him to stay, yeah. really, yeah, it, it doesn't reflect well on the Hawthorne hierarchy. I think well, they I mean, really yeah, underestimate you, what it's valuable. I think that's right, and I think you couple that. You couple that. We'll talk about this a bit later. I mean, plus with the suckling injury, I mean, the fact that that Murphy and Gillum have also left Hawthorne during this off season is, is mm. that their depth is taking a little bit of a. a it's not so much depth, but it's the fact that you've got Sam Mitchell and Brad Sewell, who, as a as a pair, as a combo, are arguably the two best in and under midfielders going around in the league. Therefore, you need that outside player running along the winds for them to yeah. win the ball and get it out to. That's so right. So yeah. Young was a really, really important component of that side, given the the players that we had. So I yeah, I just can't understand why they didn't see how valuable he was. Mm. So. Anyway, sore point. So I'm going, sore with, point. I'm going with Clinton Young. It sounds like you, you agree with Wholeheartedly. Yeah. Although he is out injured for round one, so suck it. <laughs> Not that I'm bitter or anything. Moving along. The next question we have. Oh, well, I've heard GJ say this one about a number of different players for probably, well, since I've known him, basically, so about seven years now. So for this year, then, the 2013 remix, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Give it away, give it away, give it away, give it away now. Yeah. Probably most memorably uh, attributed to Mark Nikoski of... Or the yeah the previous holders of this title, who will be the Red Hot Chili Pepper for 2013? Mikoski would have to be a candidate this year. Actually. Is he allowed to run twice? Yeah, well, he possibly could. I mean, his, his career, the last couple of years, I mean, he had a, a rebirth in 2011. But I mean, it looks like his hammies are uh, finally given away on him. But I mean, there's a few. Uh, there's a couple of guys who I'm really tempted to put into this category, but I'm kind of reserved. I'm gonna. Can I? Can I? Jump I'll give you some time for. Can four? I? Gonna, no. Can I? I'm gonna cheat and go with an obvious candidate of Dean Brogan, but the Hawthorne captain would be nearing that point just quietly. Mm-hmm. He's one semi-serious injury away from. Yeah. Well, look, my take on it would be that if I could just tweak the lyrics slightly to give him away, give him away, give him away now, I'd nominate Aaron Sanderlands. Well, I mean, he's in a similar boat too. I mean, he's probably only one or two injuries away. But more importantly, I actually think Jonathan Griffin playing for Fremantle is a better result than Aaron Sanderlands playing for Fremantle right now. Yeah, if you get... And I think they've actually missed a trick in not trading him before this season. I mean, you're probably getting 95% of the return for 50% of the salaries. So you can use that money elsewhere, and given that the you know give him give him a chance to put together the buddy treasure chest. So. Yeah, because I well, there's the yeah obviously the financial component of it, but I just think as a team, Fremantle just seem to function better with Griffin than they do with Sandlands. Yeah, I think he just yeah. Well, I think Sandlands will will become a forward at Fremantle, but yeah. Well, anyway, but as I say, is is he worth a spot on their list as yeah, at that yeah, sort I mean, of role? He, he, and with his injury history, I think he is. But yeah, well, I think that playing him in that type of role reduces some of the wear and tear on his body, which is the big thing. But I don't know. I just would think you. I mean, look, would you rather? 
it comes down to uh, would you rather have um, Aaron Sandlin's in your team or Zach Clark? Well, I'd rather have Zach Clark and an early draft pick that I got from trading Sandlin's. So let's yeah. go with that. Uh-huh. Okay, well, moving on to what was definitely one of the, the hot topics of the, the off-season. Pitgate. Well, no, not that one. Um, Tipgate. Tipgate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess if you're going to put on your Judge Jamison robes for a second here, you you can be on my sort of sub bench. Yeah, (laughs) I can. Um, What should the punishment have been for both Adelaide and for Kurt Tippett? So did the existing one go too far, not go far enough? Was it about right? I don't think it went far enough. I don't think that Adelaide got punished anywhere near sufficiently for it, although perhaps the uh, the fallout from the Melbourne situation hurt them perhaps more than the original well, thing did. Yeah. But Kurt Tippett in particular got off incredibly lightly, I think, in the context of everything that had happened, is that he basically, yeah, he basically became a free agent and could get to where he wanted to do without any intervention. So I think... I mean, it was established that Tippett knew... Oh, absolutely. It wasn't sort of, you know... A, a government minister having yeah. s- shares in a company that they s- somehow had a yeah an yeah oh, absolutely he like was that. he was well Kurt and was well and truly across it all that, from day abso- one absolutely yeah. so I think that yeah, nowhere near strong enough I, I actually think that there, there was a perfect punishment in place that everybody kind of missed that would have that would have achieved exactly what it would have done and all parties would have would have suffered which was Tippett should have been forced to stay on Adelaide's list for this season at the salary that he was on last year, but not be eligible to play. So basically a one-year suspension at $600,000-odd. dollars. problem is you can't force someone to stay at a club, though. Well, the... But if you're in breach of those things, he's lucky he wasn't deregistered. Under the but rules that's ultimately of the, what the punishment you're saying there. That's ultimately what that it's a one year, led It's to. basically a one-year suspension. I don't think you can suspend someone to stay with a club who now openly despise him. For well, full he won't be with the club. That's the whole point, is that he stays on Adelaide's list. Adelaide can deal with the issues with regards to him at the end of the year, but he cops a one-year suspension in essence. The idea is, is that typically get suspended for a year, Adelaide gets penalised the money that they would have would have been paying Tippett. The problem with that though is how does he train then? Not if, how if he's suspended does he, from... How tough. does he stay fit? How does he... Tough. Sort of how did Ben Cousins do it? Tough. It's tough. You break the rules, you cop the punishments. No sympathy for Kurt Tippett. No sympathy for Adelaide. Yeah. Don't you know what they were I, doing? I think I agree with your basis. Don't you I just don't agree with keeping him on the Adelaide well, you, list. You do register him for a year, but you keep him on the Adelaide list. The reason why you do that is just so that their cap space gets diminished. He's not getting paid that, but he, they, they, instead of having... I can't remember the figures now. I think it's about $8 million. Instead of having about $8 million on the cap, they've got $7.5 So they can't... Because the, the problem is, is that otherwise they could just go out and replace Easily by spending that money on someone else. So that's my take. That's what I thought. That, that's what I thought should so happen. What was the suspension for Adelaide? Was it just the two fifty grand? Or they got a fine. They lost. Them, yeah. They got a fine. They they voluntarily gave up two two draft picks, and their CEO got a got a suspension, and the football the CEO got, got a suspension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it seems so long ago, given Peptide Gate. Well, no, because what I'm Tank Gate, but um, yeah. 
All I think is that you've got to sort of treat Kurt Tippett and the club. You've got to have separate punishments. Yeah, but having said that, it was it was a colluded it was a colluded effort to get around the rules by both parties. So both parties were privy to what was going on. It was the connection yeah. of both parties that caused the problems. Yeah. So the punishments actually have to be aligned. That was the problem. Kurt Tippett is. I mean, it's great for Kurt Tippett. He laughs. He walks out. He gets millions and millions of money. Goes play well, to Sydney and only misses half a year. I mean, look, yeah, I'm just going to throw this question out there off the cuff because this is the one thing that I haven't been able to get my head around. The Sydney Bloods culture about a team that is greater than the sum of its parts, about no one player sort of, I guess, being the, the, the star or the, I guess, the, you know, it's all about the team level, the team effort across the board rather than focus being on certain individual star players or or that sort of thing. For, for a team that so strongly eschews those values and who basically beat a far more skilled team but with a far less, I guess, strong culture and team mm. spirit and ethic in last year's grand final, how do you rationalise the fact that they're now paying him 800 grand a year? I, I just see, see it as them selling out their core values completely and yeah. I don't understand why and what that's they're good, getting for. It's a good question. Point one, that's the risk. Point two, that's basically AFL equalisation money, so it's a free hit for them. But, well, not equalisation money, it's the cost of living allowance. Sydney's 10% cost of living allowance advantage is basically going into Kurt Tippett's pocket. But even if that's the case, in terms of just purely well, performance-based yeah, salary, he doesn't warrant anywhere near that much. I agree. He he's, near that much. he's one of the most overrated players in the AFL. He's, I think that he's rated fairly, but he's overrated with regards to the money that he's getting paid. He's not worth eight hundred thousand dollars a year. So, yeah, so you can't understand why either no. Sydney of all teams. And yeah, I th- and I mean, look, col- the word culture is arguably in it. It's not just in a in a professional sporting sense, but in a business sense. Culture is one of the most overused wank words that you'll ever find. It's that you don't have a. You, it's not about a culture. The culture that any organisation or anything has is the unified goal of one thing. And when I hear people say Sydney have a no dickheads culture, for instance, I go, that's bullshit. That's not a culture. That's a recruiting strategy. There's mm. a difference. The culture is... Mar- marquee player, sorry, was the yeah. word I was looking for yeah. before, in how sort of Gold Coast have Gary Ablett. You know, a lot of those clubs sort of have yeah, that uh, well, sort of marquee player, but Sydney have always been very much about, yeah, an even performance across the team. Well, and in as recent, I say, about a team that is greater well, than some of their parts. In recent times, I'd say that, but mm. in the past, you've had guys like Tony Lockett, Barry Hall, oh, yeah, no, Paul mean, Ruse, yeah, all of these yeah. guys playing for him. So, the, certainly not the case here. Yeah, I, I, when I heard that Sydney were a big player for him in the first instance, I was confused. So mm. I, I didn't see the. I didn't. I thought it, it kind of flies against how you've built your team. Yeah. So, and you've been so successful cherry picking off the the second tier guys with potential. Yeah. So I thought it was yeah I, I was I was surprised I just thought it was they they just figured they're playing with house money I think that that's the only way you can describe it if it works great well, if but not, they've been so playing with house money for years though they've never mm. but anyway yeah so it's a curious one as I say it just to me it seems to fly in the face of, of a lot of the stuff that but the, they the like thing to... the, the the thing I do like is is that Kurt Tippett's first game as a Sydney Swan will be in Adelaide against Port Adelaide and I'm thinking that it might be the the only chance Port Adelaide have this year. Outside of the showdown of having a sellout, because I'd imagine that there's going to be 
a few disgruntled Adelaide supporters who will be rocking up to that game, absolutely giving it to Kurtz. If it oh, to be honest, I wouldn't bother. Yeah. I'd look at him and I'd say, you know what? You were underperforming. We were not getting bang for our buck from you. Have a nice life. Yeah, this is Adelaide we're talking about. True, right? true. So logical and rational thought <laughs> yeah. processes aren't exactly the norm. Separate. Yes. Anyway, so. <laughs> it's quite an interesting segue then because my response to this question could well be Kurt Tippett, but yep. the question is name a player that you feel is horribly overrated. I'd like to say Kurt Tippett too, but I'm mm. like, I mean, look, there's a lot of guys who really fall into this, this category. Um, I guess I'll put two two ranges on it. Yep. One just across all the playing, playing group in general and another one from the sort of the top X number of players in the competition, or that's how he is perceived to be. Yeah, well, Surioli probably counts in yeah. the last yeah. group, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and that would be in, in entirety, yeah. that would be my pick. Um, well, he's an All-Australian, so yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. He's a, he's basically a, a specialist forward, pretty much because he, he can't build the tank to get into the midfield, but everybody carries on that he's... You know, Bruce McAvaney in particular. Delicious. Yeah, just carries on about him. The second guy, always, I mean, two guys. there's two guys at Carlton who I always throw in the mix for these two, Jared Waite and Matthew Cruiser. Mm. Probably those levels below. Yeah. You always hear them going on about how Cruiser was an elite ruck talent and all of that. And, and how Carlton didn't make the finals last year because Jared Waite was out injured. Exactly. Crap yeah. like that, you know. Jared Waite has potential. Well, Jared Waite, I think Jared Waite turns 30 this year. If not, he's 29. In, in fairness, it's potentially because he's the only forward on Carlton's list who weighs more than seventy kilos. Yeah, but, but I mean, at, at some point in time, like you, you don't you don't have potential at twenty nine in this game. You have the potential to retire. Yeah, that's exactly right. So. Those guys are those guys are horribly overrated as well. Mm. But I'm gonna I'm locking in Cyril. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd sign off on that. I mean, yeah. you, you know very well what my response to all the uh, circle jerking after his performance in the preliminary final last year, yeah. when in fact he missed a shot late in the final quarter that would have asked the game for us. Um, and I, I get the. I, a little, the, a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a spoiler alert. He was uh, non-existent in the grand final. Exactly. And, uh, I'm but, sure I'll be mentioning the, the guy's name later on who played on him. But so for me, more importantly, was the fact that Fox Fox Footy um, prepared the montage of his performance and they cut it after they showed him taking that mark late in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Now, if he well, he if he kicks that goal, we've won the game. Beautiful. Mm. But he missed that goal. And we, we could have potentially lost the game. We won by less than one straight kick. Yeah. Now, that miss was more potentially more significant than all of the other stuff that came before could it. Have, because could have, it was the delicious package. They yeah. didn't want to hear any of it. It could have been his Rojo moment, you could say. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, I... For anyone who doesn't know, we're talking about Rowan Jones in the preliminary final against Adelaide in The only reason he's still alive is because we won that game. <laughs> is, uh, yeah. He, uh, he missed a goal from probably about 15 out on a slight angle. Yeah. But, yeah, a professional AFL footballer should kick. Oh, professional, certainly. 900, 999 times out of 1,000. So, anyway. Anyway, let's, let's, let's not open up the But, yeah, Cyril Rioli for me on that, yeah. on that one there. And Jared Waite, who yeah. ironically is <laughs> basically the person that Josh Kennedy could have been for Carlton. Yeah. Well, well, that's right. He's playing in that role, yeah. yeah but absolutely. they need Josh yeah. Kennedy in right now. Well, the original workings of the Chris Judd deal was 320 and Jared 
way. That's the rumour. West and Coast must be pretty happy that yeah. that didn't go down That's right. that way. So, uh, yeah. Moving on from underperforming forwards to a question on underperforming defenders or the reverse Coleman. Hey! Is the, old here. Re- the old reverse So the Namalock, I'm going to go with yeah. that. And I can tell you right now that our show and makers is going to be a strong leading candidate. Tom Waterhouse has him in a dollar four favouritism. See, I, I don't know if he's gonna get, if he's gonna necessarily get the best forward this year. So uh, he might he might ease out a little bit. From memory, he didn't finish in the top three last year in this. Mm. The top three last year, and I'm, the number one pick is the guy who finished last last year. And it's not necessarily a reflection of his ability. It's more the team that he plays for. But so we should just say the question is for those who might not understand which defender will have the most goals kicked on him. Yeah, that's what the reverse so, comment yeah, is. Yeah. The, Nolamak. Oh. Yeah. Namalock. Yeah. The reverse common. So, um, yeah, it, last year the top three, I'm going with the number one from last year, which was Phil Davis. Phil Davis, of course, captain of Greater Western Sydney and uh, key defender. <laughs> yes, I still can't hear that sentence without breaking out into laughter, hey? Captain of Greater Western Sydney and uh, key defender. <laughs> it never gets on. Uh, so, uh, he had 52 last year, and I think he'll be right up there again this year. The other two guys, um, from memory, Alex Rance was second with 48, and I think Alan Paddy Carlisle was third. You throw somebody like Matthew Warnock in the mix, maybe, up at Gold Coast. So, I mean, it's it's a function, really, of the teams that these guys are playing for, the, where the, the ball's going to be continually coming in, lots and lots of pressure. Somebody else who may be a roughie on this, funnily enough, considering his name, is uh, Jordan Ruffhead at the Western Bulldogs, because he'll be taking the best key forward for the first time all year this this year, yeah. but I'm locking in Phil Davis. So you said he had 51 last year. 52. 52. Because yeah. the best of my recollection, I think uh, Schoenmakers conceded that many goals to Tom Hawkins in just the two Geelong matches last <laughs> year, let alone the other, the rest of the season, so... Yeah, I might need to go back and verify the numbers yeah. on that one. But. Well, it was, I think it was J-Pod in the first one and Hawkins in the second one, wasn't it? Didn't he have J-Pod in the first game? Well, whoever he yeah, had, anyway, they kicked a yeah. bag full. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they filled their boots, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, yes. Play on show and makers, kick goals. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, the recipe for success. I think, I think you made the great comments last year at one stage that the, uh, the XYZ is back was a running jag. There were four, yeah, four times throughout the course of the season there was an article on AFL.com.au saying either so-and-so is back in form or so-and-so is the best key forward in the competition the week after they played on Ryan Schoenmakers. That was yeah. Tom Hawkins twice, Justin Kaczynski and Jack Rewald. Yeah. So, cause and effect? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I'm thinking there's a relationship there, just quietly. But yeah. anyway. So, anyway, I might this year be preparing a, a pre-written article on, on um, whoever Sean Makers is playing in the next week and just say, this guy's become the best key forward in the yeah. competition. Tom Hawkins building on his All-Australian floor. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah. yeah, have a look out for that one. Righto. And speaking of that sort of level of analytical discovery our next question is well coming from the considerably (laughs) lesser minds at at Fox Footy what alleged uh, 
genius analytical discovery, will Fox Footy try and cram down our throats this year? Oh God! That recipe for success last year. I mean, I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to call Doctor State the obvious. And, I mean, geez, every, geez, every, who would every time I, I ate it, say, I was just bringing it back. I was going to say, who would have thought that you know the more 50-50 balls you won, the more tackles you made, and the um, you know the more effective you were when you had the ball would mean that you had a better chance of winning. I mean, for fuck's sake. Talk about stating the obvious. Mm, it, was, um, it wasn't so much money ball. No. no. <laughs> As it was yeah. opening a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... In essence, the um, it looks like it's this whole player performance thing based on the off season, and that I mean that that just baffles me as well. Showing how a player when they com- did their testing at the draft combine were relative to other people at different stages of their career. The funny thing was was that I saw that they had these below average and poor things on there, and I'm like they're thinking for things like agility, endurance, speed, some of these things. When's an AFL player? are going to be below average on these things. I mean, what is average in the first place? So they just chuck these things up and it's meant to make sense to people. I can actually kind of work out what they're trying to do, but I reckon it goes over 85% of the people's heads, including the commentators, funnily enough. So you you need to know what the basis for comparison is. Yeah, that's right. And it's like then saying, oh, well, this person at this stage of their career is similar to when Dale Thomas first came in the AFL. And it's like, so what are you trying to say? That this person's Dale Thomas? Or that they're like, where Dale Thomas is going to be? It just, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Look, my take on it is more simply that they're never going to come out and label an individual player as being, you know, below average on all those sorts of key yeah. indicators. I just can't see them doing it that that directly. So it's, yeah, it's going to be about, um, I think, looking at the ones where they're really, really killing it, they're actually going to be the ones that actually mean <laughs> anything at all. But that could be something to keep an eye on this season. Perhaps you could, yeah, any listeners out there, perhaps send us an email... No, tweet us, Ben. Come on, tweet us. Yeah, do that too. Um, for the the lowest levels that you ever see reported for a particular player, because I'm guessing maybe Ruckman being below average on speed, that mm. might be that might be the only thing that we see. So our suspicion is that there's going to be a rather significant skew towards the right hand side of the scale. Yes. So that'll be something interesting to keep a look out for. Righty dokey. Moving along, we're looking at. Well, we started off with six squared. We're now looking at uh, a couple of eights here. Three trade, uh, three players who were picked up at spot eighty-eight. We're talking about the oh, the, 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 uh, the funny trade pick eighty-eight thing. For for people who don't know this, uh, Melbourne had pick eighty-eight in the the national draft last year, and it was potentially going to make or break their season. <laughs> They traded it to Port Adelaide for David Roden. Port Adelaide then on-traded pick 88 to the West Coast Eagles for Lewis Stevenson, who the Eagles then traded pick 88 back to Melbourne. We're going to need to post a for, for Carl Morton. <laughs> so basically pick 88, which I think in, from memory was actually passed in the draft. Oh, after all that. Was passed. Well, it's probably fitting that it was a pass. Two fat ladies it, were bouncing around all over I was just going to say, it's probably fitting that it was a pass in the draft because it had been passed three times up yeah. to that point. But anyway, Perhaps there's some sort of like cricketers 87, AFL yeah. 88. But anyway, but, so. So which player involved in that whole. Yeah, 88. <laughs> 
debacle, which one of them will have a bigger impact? We've got David Roden, Lewis yep. Stevenson, or Carl Warren. It's, a, it's actually an interesting one because I think that, you know, all three teams made those moves for very different reasons. The one who I think will actually have the most impact is the one who people probably know the least about, Lewis Stevenson. Mm, Robert, as I call him. Um, yeah. Robert, it's hard to get a game as a halfback flanker in the West Coast Eagles when you consider you're going to be behind Shannon Hearn and Bo Waters in the worst case scenario in the pecking order. So not getting a game for the Eagles in that type of role isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's a bit like Mitch Brown not getting a game behind Darren Goss well, and Eric saying, McKenzie. Yeah, well, I mean, take a look at how it worked out for Brad Ebert last year. He's a... Same but, team, too. Yeah. <laughs> For, for anyone who, who hasn't actually seen Lewis Stevenson play, I've seen a fair bit of him, both playing locally, but also the few times that he played for the Eagles. He certainly wasn't out of his depth playing for the Eagles. The one thing I will tell you about Stevenson, Stevenson is a beautiful kick of the football. Yeah. On both sides of his body, he kicks both with penetration but with good accuracy. So I think that he'll be they'll use him in, in kind of a quarterback-type role if they're smart at Port Adelaide. So from the Shannon Hearn school of kicking. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite. He doesn't quite kick through the ball with that. You know, he doesn't punch the ball as hard as Shannon Hearn. Yeah. But he, he can he can kick over distance with good accuracy. Like sort of and he's also a very good decision maker as well. Mm. That's the other thing about him that's very underrated. Well, so probably more than can be said for the rest of the Port Adelaide so list right now. I'm I'm actually expect. I mean, I think that he'll comfortably be in their best twenty-two from day one. And I actually mm. expect that he will be he'll be the type of guy that everybody will go, "Wow, where's he come from?" It's some stage during the year. I read one of the like the, the NAB cut, um, match reviews which said that Stevenson already seems to be their preferred player for um, getting yeah. the ball out of defence. Yeah. It seems like they're already trying to, to make him their, yeah. their player. To and as, a, the as they should, because so, he's a beautiful kick. So mm. I think he'll have the most impact. I think that David Roden will be very important for, for Melbourne off the field in terms of teaching these guys about professionalism and what you have to do to get going, particularly with such a very, you know, such a young list there. His role there will be an important one. I'm expecting that, I mean, Carl Morton is the most talented of those three those three guys, but when you look at what he's got to do to get into the Eagles' midfield, I think that it's, it's, a, it's a task too tall for him. Well, he's facing the same challenge that but, Stevenson faced. Yeah. Well, he's a, he's a midfielder more yeah. so than a halfback. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I'm expecting that Carl Morton will have a couple of moments in a West Coast Eagles jumper at some stage during his career where we sit there and go, oh. Hopefully on the field. Yeah, on the field. <laughs> where you go, oh, that, that, that made sense. It, it was a... Carl Morton is very talented. It's just a, it's difficult to work out just how much damage has been done to his psyche because mm. of the rabble that he was surrounded by at Melbourne. Yeah. All right. So we're going with yeah. I've gone with Lewis Stevenson. Yeah. yeah. And I'm pleased to report that he's in both my fantasy and my dream teams this year. So and he'd be I'm a great and he'd be a great picker. Yeah. So I'm glad that GJ's given that the big tip there. All right. And now we move to someone who is on my dream team bench. And this is a question I find I found most so asking this week is how many games will Magic Door play this year? 
you kind of have to think about the role that you'd expect him to play at North Melbourne, which is kind of that backup ruckman slash tall forward. So the Dan Curry. Well, he's. <laughs> I don't think he's competing with Dan Curry. He's more competing with guys like Robbie Terrence and Drew Petrie and Lockie Hanson, from from what mm-hmm. I can tell. They've got the option of throwing Hanson down back, but I think well, the reality is, with regards to where Dore is in his career, he's going to have to play this year. Otherwise, why have they got him on their list? He's been on there now for, I think this is his fourth year, mm. yet to play. You always hear about how he's improving and he's had great development. Yeah, and all but that's that. just the AFL. Yeah, but... Um, so I think he'll play. I think he'll get probably half a dozen games along the way. Maybe more. I mean, if he comes in and he plays... If he comes in and he does well, he may get more. But I, I'm thinking... Um, I'm expecting in that six to eight range. Yeah. I mean, it probably does depend on Goldstein as well, considering That's he's the other thing. injury yeah. issues. Yeah. So, yeah. But, so it might be time for me to just drop kicking off my bench from the sound. Well, he's probably going to be a cheap ruckman, so he's, he's worth there just purely for the fact that he's got no money or get, no money against his name. Yeah. Exactly. I would say. Which is all I'm looking for in my bench ruckman. Okay. Hey, so here we go. This is a nice generalised one then, quite simply. Who will take the mark of the year? And I'm going to refer to it without the usual sponsors' <laughs> names emblazoned all over it. It's just the mark of the year. That's it. I know who I want to pick. I'm just wondering if he's actually going to actually be fit enough to make it work. I reckon Nick Natnu is going to take the mark of the decade at some stage during his career. Quite possibly the mark of the century, where he, he stands on about five guys' heads, covered from six back. Mm. Uh, well, he's already got a pretty impressive highlight. He's here. taken he's taken three or four pillars already during mm-hmm. his career. I, I can see him still going to another level and taking something pretty impressive. It's it's hard to go against someone like Jeremy Howe, yeah. but I'm going to do it. I'm taking Nick Nat. Lock it in. There it is. You heard it here first. And at least that won't give uh, bloody Hutto the <laughs> opportunity to use that god-awful, how'd he do that? Or whatever the pun was, you yeah. know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so... Uh, I'd like to see him try and work Natanui into something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, try- I- I'm just trying to think of a smoky outside of... Cracker, Cyril Rioli, one of those guys, Eddie yeah. Betts, just I'm just trying, one yeah, of the little blocks. Trying to think of, you know, Andrew Walker, maybe? I mean, um, guys who, yeah, guys who can take a good pack mark, because invariably it's a pack mark. Yeah, I, maybe Jack Rewalt might be the, the real mm-hmm. smoky with a good chance, but I, I just think that Nick Nats, Nick Nat, even Magic Dorn might be a chance yeah. if he gets enough games, but I think Nick Nats, Nick Nat would be a good chance. What never gets mentioned these days is when, when they brought in that hands in the back rule, that killed off about 90% of all spectacular marks. Because yeah. they always used to rely on that hand in the back to get up. I always so now it's more about the guys like Manu who can actually yeah. get up there without using the I always hands. reckon that it should be, you can put your hands in your back, but you have to mark it. Mm. So <laughs> like, if they take the mark, then it's okay. Otherwise, yeah. it's a free kick. Yeah. yeah. And that was kind of how it was loosely interpreted during the early 2000s. And I, I like that. I reckon that that's a good way to go. Fair enough. Alrighty. And now, then Ridge is back. Alright, hands on the buzzers. Who am I? See, William's into it here. Who are you, Billy? <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> He's got an answer ready. Oh. 
Who is it, Billy? Okay, quite simply, I am the most improved player in the competition this year. Improved is such a tough word because... Well, you wrote the question. You can't have a go at me for the word. No, no, no. no. This. I'll just say, these are the types of things that people ask, but improved can be very open to interpretation. It's somebody who's got a greater opportunity, perhaps. Somebody who's in a team who escalates their game. So how you how you choose to answer that question is always open to interpretation. I'd say how you choose to ask it next time should be clearer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm just making the point that when I'm picking I'm actually picking somebody who's going to actually get an opportunity versus not having an opportunity in the past and is going to prove to be a quality well quality be at least be an AFL quality type player. Kobe Stevens, who was formerly on the West Coast Seagulls list, now the West Coast. It sounds a bit like a Lewis Stevenson scenario. Yeah, so and it's another West Coast. There's no shame. I mean, the problem is there's no shame being an inside ball winner in the AFL on the Eagles list who couldn't get a game because you're behind guys like Prittis and Kerr. Mm. Um, Kobe Stevens can definitely play that role and play it quite well. He hasn't really had the long-term opportunity to do it at the AFL level because guys like Prittis and Kerr are generally pretty durable. Mm. So, And I'll just throw one other point out there as well, is that Matthew Boyd is out injured for the first two to three weeks. So yeah. in terms of there being a, a role for him there in the Western Bulldogs midfield. So Matty Boyd going doesn't exactly leave a gaping hole. It's no. more just <laughs> the entire team's been ripped out. Yeah, so it's a black hole, not a gaping <laughs> hole. Um, but I mean, he's if, so the if you are definitely a, set for yeah, him to. If you are a dream team up. or fantasy football player, get on Kobe Stevens because he'll be cheap yeah. and he'll uh, two hundred and four thousand eight hundred. Yeah, there you go. You've obviously got him. Yep. Um, his his numbers will. Hit, I, I'm expecting not an Ebert-like breakout year, but I'm expecting him to move forward. And for the record, I would have had Brad Ebert last year. Well, I can say that in hindsight, now. yeah. Well, you know that I would say that because I made him one of my centrepieces of my fantasy footy team last year. But anyway. Hey. Well, GJ's busy reliving his past glories here. We're going to move on and ask him another question. Which is a very straightforward numerical answer. How many goals will Travis Cloak kick this year? I'll give you I'll give you a bracket of five. <laughs> I'm gonna say between sixty and sixty-five, which is up a little bit yeah. on last year. Mm-hmm. Um, reason for that is I think all the contract stuff distracted him a little bit last year. And mm-hmm. um, as much as he wouldn't admit it, I, I was I'm sure that's the case. But also I think the fact that he's actually got Quinton Winch beside him now will be a great foil for Cloak. Yeah. Certainly a lot more than the speed bump that Chris Dawes proved to be last year. Because um, Winch like to push up the ground, which will work really well for Cloak because it'll create space behind him for one-on-one contests. And one thing Cloak can definitely do is take a contested mark. So really, anything Lynch can do to help would be more than <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> more than he was getting from Dawes. That's so. exactly right. Yeah. Um, so I think that he'll he'll probably go up a little bit. He'll he'll I'm expecting so three, three goals a game basically around about that mark. Yeah, I'm expecting him to start the season quite well and maybe taper off a little bit towards the end. But uh, I think that he's going to... Yeah, he'll be around that 60 mark. And he, uh, I'm suspecting that 62 will put him... Six, so 60 to 65. Oh, just about. My exact figure I, I, I'd, I'd put down would put so it's probably 62 and I think that 62 is probably going to put him in and around the range to win the Coleman yeah game. well we got one this year with a, a similar figure to yeah. that didn't we yeah so yeah fair enough 
So, speaking of Revolt, we've yeah. got a question about the two of them in the competition. Which one of them will take more marks this year, Jackalus or Nicholas? Billy's just walked in, so we might ask his opinion. Jack or Nick? No, you don't, you don't, you're not really... Can I have what's behind the third character? Yeah, that's right. There is the third <laughs> one. Three, yeah. There is the third one, Billy, sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm going Jack, purely because I think that Richmond will be better. And as their midfield gets better, I think that if they can get a full fit season out of someone like Vickery as a foil, that um, that Jack will become a better player and that he will he'll get a lot more opportunities. Oh, that's on one level. On the second one, I think Nick's body's nearly given up completely on him. Just to give it some context, sorry, I'm trying to research on the run. <laughs> the internet's not working for me. How many marks did each of them take this year? I think that I can't remember uh, off the top of my head that I was suspected they're probably around about the same. Okay. Yeah. Um, maybe Nick had a few more because, I mean, Nick actually played every pretty much every game last year, which is a rarity for him. Mm. So um, I'm expecting that, yeah, Nick might not play as many games, but even if they do play the same amount of games, I think that Jack, Jack being the more focal point of the uh, of the Richmond team, that he'll probably get targeted more and as a consequence will take more marks. So based on last year, we say Jack yeah. would be the... I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking Nick's, Nick's on the way down. Jack will potentially maintain, so that's probably enough to, to keep the gap. Mm. Okay, well, the next question... It's Well, see, William already knows it's <laughs> a bit ambiguous because it's who will BT get excited about this year? Because I'd say an easier one might be who won't BT get excited about this year? Pat Sam Lane? <laughs> yeah. yeah, if I was Sam, I'd get a restraining order. <laughs> Yeah, Sam Wayne works for BT doesn't get excited about it. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Sam Wayne's got the taser well. It's surely fired up and ready to go. Um, So the the Dukes and Wowie and all that, who who will that get used for this year? Last two years it's probably been Razor Ray in the weapon and it hasn't exactly worked out too well for either of those guys. So whoever it is, I feel sorry for them right from the get-go. I'm just trying to think who's the type of guy. I mean, I'd probably have to look at who who's playing the most on Saturday nights, but mm. you'd think that it's probably going to be an Essendon-Collingwood type team that plays the most regularly then, so it's probably going to be somebody from... Well, perhaps from we'll say it's the one moment, his one, you know, most epic orgasm of the year. <laughs> Who will cause that moment for him? Oh, because that's too hard. That's just too hard. All I'm going to say is, I don't know who it is, but based on past history, it's not going to work out well for you. Fair enough. It'll be similar to the uh, end of the BT Goes Nuts clip on YouTube. <laughs> if you haven't seen that, check it out. He seems to, actually, he seems to love himself some Clancy Pierce. So maybe Clancy Pierce is... Uh, Smoky. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. And I hope that Clancy tells him to pierce off. <laughs> Good one. All right, just as a note here, I think we'll insert a sound bite of that uh, BT shot on goal from the end of that YouTube clip so you can appreciate what I'm talking about. We'll, we'll tweet it. We'll, put, we'll stick it up on Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Over the last two years, a team from outside the top eight has made the top four. And I think looking since the top eight was introduced, it's happened a ridiculous... Yeah, I think it's something like six of the last eight or nine yeah, years or something. Yeah. It is. It's, it's the exception. It's an when interesting. It it's an interesting.
everything is cursed. I mean, look, the way that the AFL does scheduling, there's a good reason for that. But still, to see that type of improvement, it's it's quite surprising. Yeah. Anyway. So, if that is going to happen this year, oh, I guess, yeah, two questions. Will anyone do it this year? Yeah. And, and if so, who will be that bolter from the blue? You'd have to think that the best chance is probably Carlton. The Smokey being maybe Essendon there. But I think Car- Carlton, when you consider that just two years ago, they finished fifth. Admittedly, they were a long way off the pace from the top four there. And that they'd sacked their coach with the view because they felt that they that they see themselves as a top four team. So there's pressure in and around that mix. The the caveat, I guess, I have to that is who do you... There's kind of two levels to this. Who do you see dropping yeah, out? Exactly. And who do you think is going to be ahead of them in the pecking yeah. order anyway? So... It, it ties into another comment which I would make about this season and that I think there's no way it's going to happen this year because I yeah. think right now you've got potentially West Coast, Fremantle, Hawthorne, Collingwood, Sydney and even Adelaide if they yeah. get an equally favourable draw. Which they all, do have. Yeah, all six of those teams. And even, in, and I mean, even Geelong who are better than last hmm, year. Yeah. Um, all of those teams are going to be well and truly in the mix for top four this year. So I definitely don't see any scope for a, a team so from outside the eight. Maybe Richmond. Well, they're the, they're the ones who. Are. I would think that Richmond would be happy to make the eight. I think that. Yeah. And I think that Carlton and Essendon are probably the same. My gut feel is, is that if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Carlton. But like you, I just think that there's too many batting ahead yeah. of them to yeah. make it happen. So, my gut. I've flip-flopped on this one a fair bit, actually, but I think, yeah, Carlton... If it was going to be anyone, it would be Carlton, but my gut feel is, is that... It won't happen happen this year. All right. Well, on to something that will definitely happen this year. (laughs) Who will win more games this season? And it's interesting, we were just chatting about Richmond. It's between them and North Melbourne. On a related side note, there was a match towards the end of last season where I tipped North Melbourne and everyone else in the comp, including GJ, tipped Richmond and North won by four points. That was a, 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 a yeah, a memorable triumph of last season. <laughs> Purely due to GJ's disgust when I mentioned it the next time we caught up. Um, yes. But so, yeah. anyway... Just a happy memory that I have. I mean, yeah, the reason why I picked this team, North finished 8th and Richmond finished 9th. Um, and North, North probably could have got bumped down to 9th based on their performance in the final. And North, yeah, well, that's right. North, <laughs> based on how they performed in that first final yeah. against Perth, North finished 15th. Yeah. Um, well, North had a very easy schedule last year. And they only just crept into the eight. They, I think their schedule this year is the second ha- deemed the second hardest yeah. after Hawthorns. Mm. So the fact that you're just scraping into the eight with an easy schedule doesn't bode well for you um, when the next year you're going to have a more tricky schedule. So it comes down to do you feel that North's team has enough natural improvement within it to better compete against these teams? I don't think it does. I think North. I think the North youth is a little bit overrated. Mm. Um, I think that Richmond have been on a very slow build moving forward. I like their top end talent a lot more than I like North's top end talent. The question being, actually, what North's top end talent actually is. I'm going Richmond, and I think that it, Richmond will do it quite comfortably. I'm thinking a, probably a two or three game gap between those two teams by the end of the year. Well, it's interesting you say North had the second toughest draw this year because last season. Season, Richmond thrashed Hawthorne and Sydney, but then also lost to Gold Coast and drew to Port Adelaide. So yes. perhaps if North Melbourne can achieve that sort of... <laughs> 
disparity in their results with the tougher draw this year. Yeah, that well, might work for them. So uh, yeah, but I, so yeah, going with, I'm going with Richmond. Yeah. I think yeah, Richmond probably by a couple of games. Yeah, I'm expecting North to fall out of the eight this year, and I'm expecting Richmond to be one of the teams that's hotly contesting for that spot. Mm. Well, that sets us up beautifully for this next question, a team in that same sort of range. Um, you predicted uh, last year that, that Brisbane would win a double-figure number of games for the season, and they managed to the afterburners at the end of the season and get in there with 10 wins. It's one of the few predictions I've made on the blog pod that's actually been accurate. <laughs> yeah, we may have edited some of the other ones out, but... But um, this season, yeah, I guess, yeah, do you think they can do it again? Or a similar sort of question is, do you think that they can play finals this year, given that they've just won the, the pre-season cup? Yeah, I think they're on a slow burn as well. Um, I'm, I, I, <coughs> Billy's obviously a big fan of uh, Michael Voss, but uh, I'm, I'm not so much. I'm thinking maybe 12 games this year. I don't think 12 will get you playing finals, though. I mean, it's going to be really important for Brisbane that they win eight, at least eight games at home. I was just going to say, the with a team like Brisbane, yeah, it really does depend on, on how they go at the gather this season. I mean, they do, have, they do have the luxury of being down in that bottom rung, having a little bit of an easier run at it. Getting Gold Coast twice certainly helps them. But they do, they have lost to the Gold Coast before. They have. But, um, yeah, I'm thinking... I mean, look, yeah, they won the pre-season comp, but pre-season form's always difficult to gauge a true read on where everything's at. And I think particularly so this year with the way that the first round's being split up, I, I, that I think that different teams would have been on different schedules. So yeah, I'm not exactly. so sure about how that, how that form's actually going to carry through into the regular season this year. So I'm always a bit I'm always a bit cautious of that. It, you generally get a good feel for how teams are going to go. Yeah, Brisbane have won it, but if you actually looked at who Brisbane have played to make the final, it's not really that impressive. Yeah. So I'm thinking, look, they won 10 last year. I'm thinking they might improve that and get up to 12. But I, I don't see them getting higher than that, and I don't think that they're going to play finals. So you do think they'll hit double figures again, though? I think they'll get there, yeah. yeah. I think they'll improve marginally on last year. Yeah. And I mean, that that's obviously contingent on guys like, I mean, yeah, there's all, all these things are always contingent on injuries, but, yeah. you know, they need Brown and Merritt in particular out there for most, if not all, of those games. Right, and on, on that note, we've reached quarter time in this uh, series of random and sometimes nonsensical questions that GJ has put together for himself. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still confused about the whole world. Improve is a difficult word to define thing. He had a, he had a pre-written loophole ready, in, <laughs> ready for himself to read there. Well, I just say, it's always a debate in, in competition, sporting competitions when I have most improved players to what improved actually means. So with any luck, GJ's included a number of other ambiguous questions like that to come oh, in the remaining yeah. three quarters. So, um, yeah, stay tuned. We'll be back after the quarter-time break, proudly brought to you by William. 